File 12 of Farthest North, Volume 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sharon Riskadal. Farthest North by Fritjof Nansen, Volume 1. Chapter 6. The Winter Night, Part 4. Monday, January 1st, 1894. The year began well. I was awakened by Yule's cheerful voice wishing me a happy new year. He had come to give me a cup of coffee in bed, delicious Turkish coffee, his Christmas present from Miss Fogner. It is beautiful clear weather, with a thermometer at 36 degrees below zero, minus 38 degrees Celsius. It almost seems to me as if the twilight in the south were beginning to grow. The upper edge of it today was 14 degrees above the horizon. An extra good dinner at 6 p.m. 1. Tomato soup. 2. Cod roe with melted butter and potatoes. 3. Roast reindeer with green peas, potatoes, and cranberry jam. 4. Cloudberries with milk. Bring this beer. I do not know if this begins to give any impression of great sufferings and privations. I am lying in my berth, writing, reading, and dreaming. It is always a curious feeling to write for the first time the number of a new year. Not till then does one grasp the fact that the old year is a thing of the past, the new one is here, and one must prepare to wrestle with it. Who knows what it is bringing? Good and evil, no doubt, but most good. It cannot but be that we shall go forward towards our goal and towards home. Life is rich and wreathed in roses, gaze forth into a world of dreams. Yes, lead us, if not to our goal, that would be too early, at least towards it, strengthen our hope, but perhaps, no, no perhaps. These brave boys of mine deserve to succeed. There is not a doubt in their minds. Each one's whole heart is set on getting north. I can read it in their faces. It shines from every eye. There is one sigh of disappointment every time that we hear that we are drifting south, one sigh of relief when we begin to go north again, to the unknown. And it is in me and my theories that they trust. What if I have been mistaken and am leading them astray? Oh, I could not help myself. We are the tools of powers beyond us. We are born under lucky or unlucky stars. Till now I have lived under a lucky one. Is its light to be darkened? I am superstitious, no doubt, but I believe in my star. And Norway, our fatherland, what has the old year brought to thee? And what is the new year bringing? Vain to think of that, but I look at our pictures, the gifts of Werenschold, Munta, Kitty Kelland, Shredsvig, Hanstein, Eilif Peterson, and I am at home, at home. Wednesday, January 3rd. The old lane, about 1,300 feet ahead of the Fram, has opened again, a large rift with a coating of ice and rime. As soon as ice is formed in this temperature, the frost forces it to throw out its salinity on the surface, and this itself freezes into pretty salt flowers resembling hoarfrost. The temperature is between 38 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 39 degrees Celsius, and 40 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 40 degrees Celsius, below zero. 
but when there is added to this a biting wind with a velocity of from nine to sixteen feet per second it must be allowed that it is rather cool in the shade sverdrup and i agreed to-day that the christmas holidays had better stop now and the usual life begin again too much idleness is not good for us it cannot be called a full nor a complicated one this life of ours but it has one advantage that we are all satisfied with it such as it is they are still working in the engine-room but expect to finish what they are doing to the boiler in a few days and then all is done there then the turning lathe is to be set up in the hole and tools for it have to be forged there is often a job for smith lars and then the forge flames forward by the forecastle and sends its red glow on to the rime-covered rigging and farther up into the starry night and out over the waste of ice from far off you can hear the strokes on the anvil ringing through the silent night when one is wandering alone out there and the well-known sound reaches one's ear and one sees the red glow memory recalls less solitary scenes while one stands gazing perhaps a light moves along the deck and slowly up the rigging it is johansen on his way up to the crow's nest to read the temperature blessing is at present engaged in counting blood corpuscles again and estimating amounts of hemoglobin for this purpose he draws blood every month from every mother's son of us the bloodthirsty dog with supreme contempt for all the outcry against vivisection hansen and his assistant take observations the meteorological ones which are taken every four hours are johansen's special department first he reads the thermometer hygrometer and the thermograph on deck they were afterwards kept on the ice next the barometer barograph and thermometer in the saloon and then the minimum and maximum thermometers in the crow's nest this to take the record of the temperature of a higher air stratum then he goes to read the thermometers that are kept on the ice to measure the radiations from its surface and perhaps down to the hole too to see what the temperature is there every second day as a rule astronomical observations are taken to decide our whereabouts and keep us up to date in the crab's progress we are making taking these observations with the thermometer between twenty two degrees fahrenheit and forty degrees fahrenheit below zero minus thirty degrees celsius to minus forty degrees celsius is a very mixed pleasure standing still on deck working with these fine instruments and screwing in metal screws with one's bare fingers is not altogether agreeable it often happens that they must slap their arms about and tramp hard up and down the deck they are received with shouts of laughter when they reappear in the saloon after the performance of one of these thundering nigger breakdowns above our heads that has shaken the whole ship we ask innocently if it was cold on deck not the very least says hansen just a pleasant temperature and your feet are not cold now no i can't say that they are but one's fingers get a little cold sometimes two of his had just been frost-bitten but he refused to wear one of the wolf-skin suits which i had given out for the meteorologists it is too mild for that yet and it does not do to pamper oneself he says i believe it was when the thermometer stood at forty degrees below zero that hansen rushed up on deck one morning in shirt and drawers to take an observation 
He said he had not time to get on his clothes. At certain intervals they also take magnetic observations on the ice seas, too. I watched them standing there with lanterns, bending over their instruments, and presently I see them tearing away over the floe, their arms swinging like the sails of a windmill when there is a wind pressure of 32 to 39 feet, but it is not at all cold. I cannot help thinking of what I have read in the accounts of some of the earlier expeditions, namely that at such temperatures it was impossible to take observations. It would take worse than this to make these fellows give in. In the intervals between their observations and calculations, I hear a murmuring in Hansen's cabin, which means that the principal is at present occupied in inflicting a dose of astronomy or navigation upon his assistant. It is something dreadful the amount of card-playing that goes on in the saloon in the evenings now. The gaming demon is abroad, far into the night. Even our model Sverdrup is possessed by him. They have not yet played the shirts off their backs, but some of them have literally played the bread out of their mouths. Two poor wretches have had to go without fresh bread for a whole month because they had forfeited their rations of it to their opponents. But all the same, this card-playing is a healthy, harmless recreation, giving occasion for much laughter, fun, and pleasure. An Irish proverb says, Be happy, and if you cannot be happy, be careless, and if you cannot be careless, be as careless as you can. This is good philosophy, which, no, what need of proverbs here, where life is happy. It was in all sincerity that Amundsen burst out yesterday with, Yes, isn't it just as I say, that we are the luckiest men on earth that can live up here where we have no cares, get everything given us without needing to trouble about it, and are well off in every possible way. Hansen agreed that it certainly was a life without care. Ewell said much the same a little ago. What seems to please him most is that there are no summonses here no creditors, no bills. And I, yes, I am happy too. It is an easy life, nothing that weighs heavy on one, no letters, no newspapers, nothing disturbing. Just that monastic, out-of-the-world existence that was my dream when I was younger, and yearned for quietness in which to give myself up to my studies. Longing, even when it is strong and sad, is not unhappiness." A man has truly no right to be anything but happy when fate permits him to follow up his ideals, exempting him from the wearing strain of everyday cares that he may with clearer vision strive towards a lofty goal. Where there is work, success will follow, said a poet of the land of work. I am working as hard as I can, so I suppose success will pay me a visit by and by. I am lying on the sofa, reading about Cain's misfortunes, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes. Truth obliges me to confess that I have become addicted to the vice I condemn so strongly. But flesh is grass, so I blow the smoke clouds into the air and dream sweet dreams. It is hard work, but I must do the best I can. Thursday, January 4th. It seems as if the twilight were increasing quite perceptibly now, but this is very possibly only imagination. I am in good spirits in spite of the fact that we are drifting south again, 
after all what does it matter perhaps the gain to science will be as great and after all i suppose this desire to reach the north pole is only a piece of vanity i have now a very good idea of what it must be like up there i like that say you our deep water here is connected with is a part of the deep water of the atlantic ocean of this there can be no doubt and have not i found that things go exactly as i calculated they would whenever we get a favorable wind have not many before us had to wait for wind and as to vanity that is a child's disease got over long ago all calculations with but one exception have proved correct we made our way along the coast of asia which many prophesied we should have great difficulty in doing we were able to sail farther north than i had dared to hope for in my boldest moments and in just the longitude i wished we are closed in by the ice also as i wished the fram has borne the ice pressure splendidly and allows herself to be lifted by it without so much as creaking in spite of being more heavily loaded with coal and drawing more water than we reckoned on when we made our calculations and this after her certain destruction and ours was prophesied by those most experienced in such matters i have not found the ice higher nor heavier than i expected it to be and the comfort warmth and good ventilation on board are far beyond my expectations nothing is wanting in our equipment and the food is quite exceptionally good as blessing and i agreed a few days ago it is as good as at home there is not a thing we long for not even the thought of a beefsteak a la chateaubriand or a pork cutlet with mushrooms and a bottle of burgundy can make our mouths water we simply don't care about such things the preparations for the expedition cost me several years of precious life but now i do not grudge them my object is attained on the drifting ice we live a winter life not only in every respect better than that of previous expeditions but actually as if we had brought a bit of norway of europe with us we are as well off as if we were at home altogether in one saloon with everything in common we are a little part of the fatherland and daily we draw closer and closer together in one point only have my calculations proved incorrect but unfortunately in one of the most important i presupposed a shallow polar sea the greatest depth known in these regions up till now being eighty fathoms found by the jeannette i reasoned that all currents would have a strong influence in the shallow polar sea and that on the asiatic side the current of the siberian rivers would be strong enough to drive the ice a good way north but here i already find a depth which we cannot measure with all our line a depth of certainly one thousand fathoms and possibly double that this at once upsets all faith in the operation of a current we find either none or an extremely slight one my only trust now is in the winds columbus discovered america by means of a mistaken calculation and even that not his own heaven only knows where my mistake will lead us only i repeat once more the siberian driftwood on the coast of greenland cannot lie and the way it went we must go monday january eighth little leave is a year old to-day it will be a fete day at home as i was lying on the sofa reading after dinner 
Peter put his head in at the door and asked me to come up and look at a strange star which had just shown itself above the horizon, shining like a beacon flame. I got quite a start when I came on deck and saw a strong red light just above the edge of the ice in the south. It twinkled and changed color. It looked just as if someone were coming carrying a lantern over the ice. I actually believe that for a moment I so far forgot our surroundings as to think that it really was some person approaching from the south. It was Venus, which we see today for the first time, as it has till now been beneath the horizon. It is beautiful with its red light. Curious that it should happen to come today. It must be Leaves' star, as Jupiter is the home star. And Leaves' birthday is a lucky day. We are on our way north again. According to observations, we are certainly north of 79 degrees north latitude. On the home day, September 6th, the favorable wind began to blow that carried us along the coast of Asia. Perhaps Leaves Day has brought us into a good current, and we are making the real start for the north under her star. Friday, January 12th. There was pressure about ten o'clock this morning in the opening forward, but I could see no movement when I was there a little later. I followed the opening some way to the north. It is pretty cold work walking with the thermometer at 40 degrees Fahrenheit below zero and the wind blowing with a velocity of 16 feet per second straight in your face. But now we are certainly drifting fast to the north under Leaves Star. After all, it is not quite indifferent to me whether we are going north or south. When the drift is northwards, new life seems to come into me, and hope, the ever young, springs fresh and green from under the winter snow. I see the way open before me, and I see the homecoming in the distance, too great happiness to believe in. Sunday, January 14th, Sunday again. The time is passing almost quickly, and there is more light every day. There was great excitement today when yesterday evening's observations were being calculated. All guessed that we had come a long way north again. Several thought to 79 degrees 18 minutes or 20 minutes. Others, I believe, insisted on 80 degrees. The calculation places us in 79 degrees 19 minutes north latitude, 137 degrees 31 minutes east longitude. A good step onwards. Yesterday the ice was quiet, but this morning there was considerable pressure in several places. Goodness knows what is causing it just now. It is a whole week after new moon. I took a long walk to the southwest and got right in among it. Packing began where I stood with roars and thunders below me and on every side. I jumped and ran like a hare, as if I had never heard such a thing before it came so unexpectedly. The ice was curiously flat there to the south. The farther I went, the flatter it grew, with excellent sledging surface. Over such ice one could drive many miles a day. Monday, January 15th. There was pressure forward both this morning and towards noon, but we heard the loudest sounds from the north. Sverdrup, Mogstad, and Peter went in that direction and were stopped by a large open channel. Peter and I afterwards walked a long distance north-northeast, past a large opening that I had skirted before Christmas. It was shining flat ice, splendid for sledging on, always better the farther north we went. The longer I wander about and see this sort of ice in all directions, 
the more strongly does a plan take hold of me that i have long had in my mind it would be possible to get with dogs and sledges over this ice to the pole if one left the ship for good and made one's way back in the direction of franz joseph land spitzbergen or the west coast of greenland it might almost be called an easy expedition for two men but it would be too hasty to go off in spring we must first see what kind of drift the summer brings and as i think over it i feel doubtful if it would be right to go off and leave the others imagine if i came home and they did not yet it was to explore the unknown polar regions that i came it was for that the norwegian people gave their money and surely my first duty is to do that if i can i must give the drift plan a longer trial yet but if it takes us in a wrong direction then there is nothing for it but to try the other come what may thursday january sixteenth the ice is quiet to-day does longing stupefy one or does it wear itself out and turn at last into stolidity oh that burning longing night and day was happiness but now its fire has turned to ice why does home seem so far away it is one's all life without it is so empty so empty nothing but dead emptiness is it the restlessness of spring that is beginning to come over one the desire for action for something different from this indolent enervating life is the soul of man nothing but a succession of moods and feelings shifting as incalculably as the changing winds perhaps my brain is overtired day and night my thoughts have turned on the one point the possibility of reaching the pole and getting home perhaps it is rest i need to sleep sleep am i afraid of venturing my life no it cannot be that but what else then can be keeping me back perhaps a secret doubt of the practicability of the plan my mind is confused the whole thing has got into a tangle i am a riddle to myself i am worn out and yet i do not feel any special tiredness is it perhaps because i sat up reading last night everything around is emptiness and my brain is a blank i look at the home pictures and am moved by them in a curious dull way i look into the future and feel as if it does not much matter to me whether i get home in the autumn of this year or next so long as i get home in the end a year or two seem almost nothing i have never thought this before i have no inclination to read nor to draw nor to do anything else whatever folly shall i try a few pages of schopenhauer no i will go to bed though i am not sleepy perhaps if the truth were known i am longing now more than ever the only thing that helps me is writing trying to express myself on these pages and then looking at myself as if it were from the outside yes man's life is nothing but a succession of moods half memory and half hope thursday january eighteenth the wind that began yesterday has gone on blowing all to-day with a velocity of sixteen to nineteen feet per second from south southeast southeast and east southeast 
it has no doubt helped us on a good way north but it seems to be going down now about midnight it has sunk to thirteen feet and the barometer which has been rising all the time has suddenly begun to fall let us hope that it is not a cyclone passing over us bringing northerly wind it is curious that there is almost always a rise of the thermometer with these stronger winds to-day it rose to thirteen degrees fahrenheit below zero minus twenty-five degrees celsius a south wind of less velocity generally lowers the temperature and a moderate north wind raises it payer's explanation of this raising of the temperature by strong winds is that the wind is warmed by passing over large openings in the ice this can hardly be correct at any rate in our case for we have few or no openings i am rather inclined to believe that the rise is produced by air from higher strata being brought down to the surface of the earth it is certain that the higher air is warmer than the lower which comes into contact with snow and ice surfaces cooled by radiation our observations go to prove that such is the case add to this that the air in its fall is heated by the rising pressure a strong wind even if it does not come from the higher strata of the atmosphere must necessarily make some confusion in the mutual position of the various strata mixing the higher with those below them and vice versa i had a strange dream last night i had got home i can still feel something of the trembling joy mixed with fear with which i neared land and the first telegraph station i had carried out my plan we had reached the north pole on sledges and then got down to franz joseph land i had seen nothing but drift ice and when people asked what it was like up there and how we knew we had been to the pole i had no answer to give i had forgotten to take accurate observations and now began to feel that this had been stupid of me it is very curious that i had an exactly similar dream when we were drifting on the ice floes along the east coast of greenland and thought that we were being carried farther and farther from our destination then i dreamed that i had reached home after crossing greenland on the ice but that i was ashamed because i could give no account of what i had seen on the way i had forgotten everything is there not a lucky omen in the resemblance between these two dreams i attained my aim the first time bad as things looked shall i not do so this time too if i were superstitious i should feel sure of it but even though i am not at all superstitious i have a firm conviction that our enterprise must be successful this belief is not merely the result of the last two days south wind something within me says that we shall succeed i laugh now at myself for having been weak enough to doubt it i can spend hours staring into the light dreaming of how when we land i shall grope my way to the first telegraph station trembling with emotion and suspense i write out telegram after telegram i ask the clerk if he can give me any news from home friday january nineteenth splendid wind with velocity of thirteen to twenty nine feet per second we are going north at a grand rate the red glowing twilight is now so bright about midday that if we were in more southern latitudes we should expect to see the sun rise bright and glorious above the horizon in a few minutes but we shall have to wait a month yet for that saturday january twentieth 
I had about six hundred pounds of pemmican and two hundred pounds of bread brought up from the hold to-day and stowed on the forecastle. It is wrong not to have some provisions on deck against any sudden emergency such as fire. Sunday, January 21st. We took a long excursion to the northwest. The ice in that direction, too, was tolerably flat. Sverdrup and I got on the top of a high-pressure mound at some distance from here. It was in the center of what had been very violent packing, but all the same the wall at its highest was not over seventeen feet, and this was one of the highest and biggest altogether that I have seen yet. An altitude of the moon taken this evening showed us to be in seventy-nine degrees, thirty-five minutes north latitude, exactly what I had thought. We are so accustomed now to calculating our drift by the wind that we are able to tell pretty nearly where we are. This is a good step northwards if we could take many such more. In honor of the king's birthday, we have a treat of figs, raisins, and almonds. Tuesday, January 23rd. When I came on deck this morning, Caiaphas was sitting out on the ice on the port quarter, barking incessantly to the east. I knew there must be something there, and went off with a revolver, Sverdrup following with one also. When I got near the dog, he came to meet me, always wriggling his head round to the east and barking. Then he ran on before us in that direction. It was plain that there was some animal there, and of course it could only be a bear. The full moon stood low and red in the north, and sent its feeble light obliquely across the broken ice surface. I looked out sharply in all directions over the hummocks, which cast long, many-shaped shadows, but I could distinguish nothing in this confusion. We went on, Caiaphas first, growling and barking and pricking his ears, and I after him, expecting every moment to see a bear loom up in front of us. Our course was eastwards along the opening. The dog presently began to go more cautiously and straighter forward. Then he stopped making any noise except a low growl. We were evidently drawing near. I mounted a hummock to look about, and caught sight among the blocks of ice of something dark which seemed to be coming towards us. "'There comes a black dog,' I called. "'No, it is a bear,' said Sverdrup, who was more to the side of it and could see better. I saw now, too, that it was a large animal, and that it had only been its head that I had taken for a dog. It was not unlike a bear in its movements, but it seemed to me remarkably dark in color.' I pulled the revolver out of the holster and rushed forward to empty all its barrels into the creature's head. When I was just a few paces from it and preparing to shoot, it raised its head, and I saw that it was a walrus, and that same moment it threw itself sideways into the water. There we stood. To shoot at such a fellow with a revolver would be of as much use as squirting water at a goose. The great black head showed again immediately in a strip of moonlight on the dark water. The animal took a long look at us, disappeared for a little, appeared again nearer, bobbed up and down, blew, lay with its head under water, shoved itself over towards us, raised its head again. It was enough to drive one mad. If we had only had a harpoon, I could easily have stuck it into its back. Yes, if we had had and back to the fram we ran as fast as our legs would carry us to get harpoon and rifle. But the harpoon and line were stored away, and were not to be had at once. Who could have guessed that they would be needed here? 
the harpoon point had to be sharpened and all this took time and for all our searching afterwards east and west along the opening no walrus was to be found goodness knows where it had gone as there are hardly any openings in the ice for a long distance round sverdrup and i vainly fret over not having known at once what kind of animal it was for if we had only guessed we should have him now but who expects to meet a walrus on close ice in the middle of a wild sea of a thousand fathoms depth and that in the heart of winter none of us ever heard of such a thing before it is a perfect mystery as i thought we might have come upon shoals or into the neighborhood of land i had soundings taken in the afternoon with one hundred thirty fathoms two hundred forty meters of line but no bottom was found by yesterday's observations we are in seventy nine degrees forty one minutes north latitude and one hundred thirty five degrees twenty nine minutes east longitude that is good progress north and it does not much matter that we have been taken a little west the clouds are driving this evening before a strong south wind so we shall likely be going before it soon too in the meantime there is a breeze from the south so slight that you hardly feel it the opening on our stern lies almost east and west we could see no end to it westwards when we went after the walrus and mogstead and peter had gone three miles east and it was as broad as ever there wednesday january twenty fourth at supper this evening peter told some of his remarkable spitzbergen stories about his comrade andreas beck well you see it was up about dutchman's island or amsterdam island that andreas beck and i were on shore and got in among all the graves we thought we'd like to see what was in them so we broke up some of the coffins and there they lay some of them had still flesh on their jaws and noses and some of them still had their caps on their heads andreas he was a devil of a fellow you see and he broke up the coffins and got hold of the skulls and rolled them about here and there some of them he set up for targets and shot at then he wanted to see if there was marrow left in their bones so he took and broke a thigh bone and sure enough there was marrow he took and picked it out with a wooden pin how could he do such a thing like that oh it was only a dutchman you know but he had a bad dream that night had andreas all the dead men came to fetch him and he ran from them and got right out on the bowsprit and there he sat and yelled while the dead men stood on the forecastle and the one with his broken thigh-bone in his hand was foremost and he came crawling out and wanted andreas to put it together again but just then he wakened we were lying in the same berth you see andreas and me and i sat up in the berth and laughed listening to him yelling i wouldn't waken him not i i thought it was fun to hear him getting paid out a little it was bad of you peter to have any part in that horrid plundering of dead bodies oh i never did anything to them you know just once i broke up a coffin to get wood to make a fire for our coffee but when we opened it the body just fell to pieces but it was juicy wood that better to burn than the best fir roots such a fire as it made one of the others now remarked wasn't it the devil that used a skull for his coffee cup well he hadn't anything else you see and he just happened to find one there was no harm in that was there 
Then Jakobsen began to hold forth. It's not at all such an uncommon thing to use skulls for shooting at, either because people fancy them for targets, or because of some other reason. They shoot in through the eye-holes, etc., etc. I asked Peter about Tobiasen's coffin, if it had ever been dug up to find out if it was true that his men had killed him and his son. No, that one has never been dug up. I sailed past there last year, begins Jakobsen again. I didn't go ashore, but it seems to me that I heard that it had been dug up. That's just rubbish. It has never been dug up. Well, said I, it seems to me that I've heard something about it, too. I believe it was here on board, and I am very much mistaken if it was not yourself that said it, Peter. No, I never said that. All I said was that a man once struck a walrus spear through the coffin, and it's sticking there yet. What did he do that for? Oh, just because he wanted to know if there was anything in the coffin. And yet he didn't want to open it, you know. But let him lie in peace now. Friday, January 26th. Peter and I went eastwards along the opening this morning for about seven miles, and we saw where it ends in some old pressure ridges. Its whole length is over seven miles. Movement in the ice began on our way home. Indeed, there was pretty strong pressure all the time. As we were walking on the new ice in the opening, it rose in furrows or cracked under our feet. Then it raised itself up into two high walls, between which we walked as if along a street, amidst unceasing noises, sometimes howling and whining like a dog complaining of the cold, sometimes a roar like the thunder of a great waterfall. We were often obliged to take refuge on the old ice, either because we came to open water with a confusion of floating blocks, or because the line of the packing had gone straight across the opening and there was a wall in front of us like a high frozen wave. It seemed as if the ice on the south side of the opening where the Fram is lying were moving east, or else that on the north side was moving west, for the flows on the two sides slanted in towards each other in these directions. We saw tracks of a little bear which had trotted along the opening the day before. Unfortunately, it had gone off southwest, and we had small hope, with this steady south wind, of its getting scent of the ship and coming to fetch a little of the flesh on board. Saturday, January 27th. The days are turning distinctly lighter now. We can just see to read Verdon's gong about midday. At that time today, Sverdrup thought he saw land far astern. It was dark and irregular, in some places high. He fancied that it might be only an appearance of clouds. When I returned from a walk about one o'clock, I went up to look, but saw only piled up ice. Perhaps this was the same as he saw, or possibly I was too late. It turned out next day to be only an optical illusion. Severe pressure has been going on this evening. It began about 7.30 astern in the opening and went on steadily for two hours. It sounded as if a roaring waterfall were rushing down upon us with a force that nothing could resist. One heard the big flows crashing and breaking against each other. They were flung and pressed up into high walls, which must now stretch along the whole opening east and west, for one hears the roar the whole way. It is coming nearer just now. The ship is getting violent shocks. It is like waves in the ice. They come on us from behind and move forward. 
we stare out into the night but can see nothing for it is pitch dark now i hear cracking and shifting in the hummock on the starboard quarter it gets louder and stronger and extends steadily at last the waterfall roar abates a little it becomes more unequal there is a longer interval between each shock i am so cold that i creep below but no sooner have i seated myself to write than the ship begins to heave and tremble again and i hear through her sides the roar of the packing as the bear trap may be in danger three men go off to see to it but they find that there is a distance of fifty paces between the new pressure ridge and the wire by which the trap is secured so they leave it as it is the pressure ridge was an ugly sight they say but they could distinguish nothing well in the dark most violent pressure is beginning again i must go on deck and look at it the loud roar meets one as one opens the door it is coming from the bow now as well as from the stern it is clear that pressure ridges are being thrown up in both openings so if they reach us we shall be taken by both ends and lifted lightly and gently out of the water there is pressure near us on all sides creaking has begun in the old hummock on the port quarter it is getting louder and so far as i can see the hummock is slowly rising a lane has opened right across the large floe on the port side you can see the water dark as it is now both pressure and noise get worse and worse the ship shakes and i feel as if i myself were being gently lifted with the stern rail where i stand gazing out at the welter of ice masses that resemble giant snakes writhing and twisting their great bodies out there under the quiet starry sky whose peace is only broken by one aurora serpent waving and flickering restlessly in the northeast i once more think what a comfort it is to be safe on board the fram and look out with a certain contempt at the horrible hurly-burly nature is raising to no purpose whatever it will not crush us in a hurry nor even frighten us suddenly i remember that my fine thermometer is in a hole on a flow to the port on the other side of the opening and must certainly be in danger i jump onto the ice find a place where i can leap across the opening and grope about in the dark until i find the piece of ice covering the hole i get hold of the string and the thermometer is saved i hurry on board again well pleased and down into the comfortable cabin to smoke a pipe of peace alas this vice grows upon me more and more and to listen with glee to the roar of the pressure outside and feel its shakings like so many earthquakes as i sit and write my diary safe and comfortable i cannot but think with deep pity of the many who have had to stand by on deck in readiness to leave their frail vessels on the occurrence of any such pressure the poor tegethoff fellows they had a bad time of it and yet theirs was a good ship in comparison with many of the others it is now eleven thirty and the noise outside seems to be subsiding it is remarkable that we should have this strong pressure just now with the moon in its last quarter and neap tide this does not agree with our previous experiences no more does the fact that the pressure the day before yesterday was from twelve a m to about two p m and then again at two a m and now we have had it from seven thirty to ten thirty p m can land have something to do with it here after all 
The temperature today is 42 degrees Fahrenheit below zero, minus 41.4 degrees Celsius. But there is no wind, and we have not had such pleasant weather for walking for a long time. It feels almost mild here when the air is still. No, that was not the end of the pressure. When I was on deck at a quarter to twelve, roaring and trembling began again in the ice forward on the port quarter. Then suddenly came one loud boom after another, sounding out in the distance, and the ship gave a start. There was again a little pressure, and after that quietness, faint aurora borealis. Sunday, January 28th. Strange to say, there has been no pressure since twelve o'clock last night. The ice seems perfectly quiet. The pressure ridge astern showed what violent packing yesterday's was. In one place, its height was eighteen or nineteen feet above the surface of the water. Floe ice eight feet thick was broken, pressed up in square blocks, and crushed to pieces. At one point, a huge monolith of such floe ice rose high into the air. Beyond this pressure wall, there was no great disturbance to be detected. There had been a little packing here and there, and the flow to port had four or five large cracks across it, which no doubt accounted for the explosions I heard last night. The ice to starboard was also cracked in several places. The pressure had evidently come from the north or north-northeast. The ridge behind us is one of the highest I have seen yet. I believe that if the Fram had been lying there, she would have been lifted right out of the water. I walked for some distance in a northeasterly direction, but saw no signs of pressure there. Another Sunday. It is wonderful that the time can pass so quickly as it does. For one thing, we are in better spirits, knowing that we are drifting subtly north. A rough estimate of today's observation gives 79 degrees 50 minutes north latitude. That is not much since Monday, but then yesterday and today there has been almost no wind at all and the other days it has been very light, only once or twice with as much as nine feet velocity, the rest of the time three and six. A remarkable event happened yesterday afternoon. I got Munta's picture of the three princesses fastened firmly on the wall. It is a thing that we have been going to do ever since we left Christiania, but we have never been able to summon up energy for such a heavy undertaking, it meant knocking in four nails, and the picture has amused itself by constantly falling and guillotining whoever happened to be sitting on the sofa below it. Tuesday, January 30th, 79 degrees, 49 minutes north latitude, 134 degrees, 57 minutes east longitude, is the tale told by this afternoon's observations while by Sunday afternoons we were in 79 degrees 50 minutes north latitude and 133 degrees 23 minutes east longitude. This fall-off to the southeast again was not more than I had expected, as it has been almost calm since Sunday. I explained the thing to myself thus. When the ice has been set adrift in a certain direction by the wind blowing that way for some time, it gradually, in process of drifting, becomes more compressed, and when that wind dies away, a reaction in the opposite direction takes place. 
such a reaction must i believe have been the cause of saturday's pressure which stopped entirely as suddenly as it began since then there has not been the slightest appearance of movement in the ice probably the pressure indicates the time when the drift turned a light breeze has sprung up this afternoon from southeast and east-southeast increasing gradually to almost mill wind we are going north again surely we shall get the better of the eightieth degree this time wednesday january thirty first the wind is whistling among the hummocks the snow flies rustling through the air ice and sky are melted into one it is dark our skins are smarting with the cold but we are going north at full speed and are in the wildest of gay spirits End of file twelve.